everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of Gin and Beer. I am Meg, and this week I'm very excited to be joined by Renato to discuss a topic that we haven't yet addressed on the podcast, but I think is very important, and that is sustainable bartending. So, Renato, thank you very much for joining. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course, yeah. So, Renato, you run the Sustainable Bartending um, Instagram account, so that's obviously um, the focus of your Instagram. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about your Instagram, what you do in the drink space, and and just the idea behind Sustainable Bartending? Yeah, totally. I mean, I use my account, my Instagram account, as a way to spread a message, um, spread a message on uh, that social platform to um, make bartenders more aware of the food waste of the food that they're wasting. So, um, uh, teaching also bartenders how to reuse anything that they can find behind the bar or even behind the kitchen into ingredients that can be used for cocktails or mocktails. And this can help them to, to make money, to, to save and also to prevent from throwing things out that are, you know, it's bad for the ecosystem. Definitely. No, I think, I think that's super important. And I think that in the past couple of years with everything that we've seen going on with climate change, it's never been more important than it is now. Um, and so you did come on to talk about one sustainable drink in particular, and that is the Paloma. Do you want to tell the listeners about how you've managed to make the Paloma into a no waste drink? Yeah, definitely. So the Paloma is traditionally a cocktail that um, it's one of the most famous cocktails in Mexico, kind of like the margarita to the U.S. Um, however, uh, the Paloma utilizes several ingredients like limes, grapefruit, uh, tequila. And instead, you can make a, a completely zero waste Paloma, what I like to call a single ingredient cocktail. So a cocktail made from only one ingredient. Uh, in this case, a grapefruit. So if you can take, uh, like in my case, I took a grapefruit and I basically deconstructed it. Um, so utilizing the skin, the pith, the, the flesh, the, the juice, everything goes into uh, that one cocktail, uh, the Paloma. So you can get your acidity, your bitterness, your saltiness, all the flavors that you want. Um, utilizing a few techniques. In this case, I was use, utilizing fermentation, lactic fer fermentation. So fermenting the grapefruit um, to unlock different kinds of flavors and then using each piece uh, for the cocktail as opposed to using lime juice and uh, other outsourced ingredients that you buy in the supermarket or that mm -hmm. are out of season. That's great. That's, re that's really interesting. And it's, I mean, <clears throat> I definitely, it's, I think the most sustainable historically that I've probably got, obviously, as everyone knows, I'm not a bartender by a profession. Um, I just make a lot of drinks at home. Um, I think when it comes to home bartending, the most sustainable that I probably get is just the sense that when it comes to citrus fruits and everything, you know, I'm juicing and using all of the, the skin off of that. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to throw out a lemon just because I've juiced it or just because I've, I've, you know, peeled the whole thing, um, which I think is a start, but I think this concept of making an entire drink zero waste is, is excellent. I think it's, it's really exciting, especially given, the current pandemic situation that unfortunately can't go a single episode of this podcast without yeah. mentioning, um, cause that's just life totally. right now, but we're all, you know, we've all had to take a step back and think about, um, 
you know, just what we're doing for the environment, um, what we're doing for our own wallets, you know, at least here in London, lemons and limes, which are in loads of drinks that I make at home are not cheap. So I definitely don't want to be wasting and a a grapefruit as well. I definitely don't want to be wasting any aspect of those citrus fruits. So of course, yeah, what you're doing on your Instagram showcasing how anyone at home can do that. I think that's really great. Yeah, totally. I mean, lemons and limes, for example, and most we use them in all kinds of drinks, but they're mostly out of season, mm-hmm. they're out of season or they, they're not local. So they come from faraway places. So that relies a lot of transportation, uh, a lot of fuel for them to get here, uh, which is not good for the environment. And then on top of that, most bartenders, they only use the juice from mm-hmm. these citrus fruits and the skins for garnishes, which later get thrown out usually. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, there's, uh, there's gotta be ways that you can tackle, uh, you know, citrus, Mm -hmm. um, whether it's at home or behind the bar. And I try to make all my recipes also for home friendly. Mm -hmm. So if you, for example, you don't have a dehydrator, you can use an oven. Mm -hmm. Um, everything is, you don't have to use fancy siphons or anything. It's pretty much as long as you have a stove and an oven Mm -hmm. and some basic household ingredients, you can make most of the recipes, uh, that I showcase. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And that yeah, I mean, I obviously being a home bartender, I, there's nothing I appreciate more than when, you know, more people of more of a professional nature make things accessible to people who are making these drinks at home. So, I think that that's really great. What got you into sustainable bartending? How did you find your way into into that well, passion? I think it started when I moved to Australia or before I was moving to Australia. I was in Rome. I was teaching at a a school called the Mixology Academy of Rome. I was teaching other bartenders. And I was reading up uh, before my move to Australia about what the bar scene was like there. And they were talking a lot about sustainability. And for me, living in Italy, and also coming from New York, I didn't hear a lot about sustainability. In London, mm-hmm. it's a much bigger thing. Mm-hmm. And in Southeast Asia, it's a big thing also. And in Australia and New Zealand. So I didn't hear about it. So I started to dive into it. And then when I made my move to Australia, I started to surround myself with it a little bit more, read more blogs. And then I joined a couple, I did some sustainable bartending competitions. And I just was really super fascinated with it. I I always thought to myself as a bartender, um, like I love what I do. It's it's my passion, but Mm -hmm. there's something missing. Like what can I do? I've always had this kind of philanthropic feeling in me that I want to do something for other people or for Mm -hmm. the world and bartending wasn't really enough to fulfill this void but uh reutilizing food waste and being a sustainable bartender kind of um filled this void i thought to myself wow i i can do what i love i can maybe get paid for it of of course as a bartender you can get paid for it i could do what i love and i could do something that's good for the environment inherently good Yeah. So it was, it was just the perfect combination. And, um, I kind of discovered it in Australia and I realized that in, uh, New York and in America, it's it's not quite there yet in the bar scene. Um, and a lot of places. So I want to make this go viral. Uh, now that's, that's really great. I, do you, out of interest, do you think that the reason why it's more prevalent in Australia, in Southeast Asia and in, you know, the UK, do you think that has to do with, I mean, a lot of those places tend to be islands where they're they're looking at importing 
a lot, a a huge majority of goods. Yeah, because I I definitely noticed um, the only area of Asia that I have visited personally is Hong Kong, which was amazing um, about two years ago. But uh, being quite the booze hound that I am, drinking in Hong Kong is ridiculously expensive. Uh, yes, um, I've heard. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's very difficult to have a drinking habit in Hong Kong. A, because it's really expensive, and B, because it's so hot there, you're kind of just sweating all the alcohol out as you drink it. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a never-ending cycle. Exactly. But just poor and dehydrated all the time there. Um, but... I think it's because they have to import most things, you know, they're not making, there's, you know, not a huge gin distillery scene in, in Hong Kong. Um, they're importing a lot of their gin, obviously tequila, beers, uh, everything, wine, especially, I mean, French wine in Hong Kong will put you in debt very easily. Not that that's, <laughs> I didn't go to Hong Kong to drink French wine, but I just remember seeing it, <laughs> seeing it on menus and being like, Oh my God. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think I think that kind of ties out with where you've noticed it's more advanced in the world is it's these places, I mean, even the UK, like being an island, um, and we're not really an island that can grow a lot of lemons and things like that. So yeah. I can definitely yeah. see how, um, I can definitely see how it would be more of a focus here because it is more expensive. And so we are more invested in not, in not wasting things. Totally. It's an island factor for sure. Um, Australia is a humongous island. It's a continent. Mm-hmm. But um, a good thing about Australia is that it has a lot of different climates. It surprisingly has a lot of different climates. It's not mm-hmm. all desert. Mm-hmm. So you have, you know, the tropics. You have uh, in the northern part where they grow like bananas, mangoes, avocados, more tropical related fruit. In the south where they grow more apples, cherries, things that are similar to the climate here in, uh, in New York City, mm-hmm. more temperate zone. Um, so they, I guess in, in Australia, they're also m- much more conscious about the environment. Mm-hmm. And in New Zealand, they're countries that um, they, they definitely don't allow other products coming, certain products, like you can't bring your own products in a, in a bag to Australia in, through airport security. Yeah. Uh, they're very conscious about their environment. So I guess that they're very, because they're connected so much with the environment, this also passes on to like other uh, parts of their industry. Yeah, no, and I I think that's a good thing. And I mean, I haven't had the pleasure of going yet, but Australia and New Zealand are meant to be two gorgeous places. So yeah, of course, they're going to be invested in not allowing the import of things that are going to, you know, erode that natural beauty. So yeah, that, that definitely, definitely makes sense. Yeah, totally. And yeah, that's where I learned, uh, I learned from other bartenders there. Um, and I kind of just got into it more and more and more. I made, made itself a challenge to say to myself, okay, what can I, uh, what are some bar items that need to be utilized? So maybe we use, bartenders use a lot of mint, right? But we don't use the stems. Bartenders use a lot of pineapple, especially if you work in tiki bars. Mm-hmm. But we don't utilize the skin so much. I mean, a lot of people are making tapacha now, but... What about the core? What about the pulp? What about mm-hmm. the, the leaves? Not, you know, what about doing something with the leaves? Um, and, and from then on, I just started realizing, wow, like, it's not just about sustainability in bartending. It's not just about reusing leftovers. It's also about reusing season, like, staying with the seasons and being local mm-hmm. and um, trying to use uh, less energy. So using techniques that maybe don't use as much energy, like mm-hmm. fermentation, 
or even using a, a microwave, which, you know, it sounds like it uses a lot of energy, but a microwave uses way less energy than most of your household appliances. It's very interesting. So, yeah, it, it becomes like a bigger, a bigger topic. I realized I thought it was just about food waste, but it's, it's more than that. Definitely. Yeah. And I can see how we, you wouldn't necessarily think about it, but I can see how the drinks industry could play such a huge role in that when, like you said, the attention might be on, on food. Um, but it really comes to, you know, when, when bars are open, when everything's thriving and not in a global pandemic there, you know, you, you just think about, as you said, like not to constantly bring it back to citrus fruit, but you know, in the UK, the number of gin and tonics where half a lime is thrown in that gin and tonic and that ends up, you know, in the bin. Um, Trashed, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's just, it's something worth thinking about. And I think like myself personally, I recently made a roast chicken that was zero waste. It was like everything down to like the, you know, the garlic bulb, um, the lemon rinds, like everything that went into it. And after I, f- I, I didn't actually seek that recipe out because it was sustainable, but I found it and I was like, Oh, well, that's nice. Um, and after I finished making it, I was like, this was so easy good for the environment, like just makes sense. Like it, it didn't yeah. take any extra effort for me to use everything that I, you know, and then afterwards, obviously with like the chicken bones, you'd make a broth and you can use that for literally anything. Exactly. Um, exactly. and it just, it made me realize how it doesn't, I think when it comes to things like sustainability or being more environmentally friendly, what puts people off is that they feel like they're going to have to do extra steps. They feel like they're going to have to do more in order to achieve that. And making that chicken made me, it really just, it wasn't any extra effort and it just felt nice to not have all these scraps in the bin. Um, and yeah, that's definitely something that historically I haven't really applied to making drinks, but I'd, I'd love to, and your, your Instagram, um, and the work that you do is definitely, that definitely helps people figure out how to do that. Yeah, totally. I mean, the thing that you're talking about the chicken, it's, it's something that as a species, we've always used everything at our disposal in the past, especially mm-hmm. now with a more globalized economy. And, you know, you go to a grocery store, you can buy anything you want. Uh, it's easier to use something and then chuck the rest out mm-hmm. or not finish your entire plate of uh, food. But chefs, chefs have carried on this tradition for a very long time, this tradition of not wasting food. Mm-hmm. For ex- Like you just said about the chicken. In most restaurants, at least in good restaurants, a good chef, when he buys a whole chicken, that chef knows that he's not just buying the meat on the chicken. He's buying the skin, the meat, the bones, the cartilage, Mm -hmm. everything, because that chicken gets weighed and it has a price on it. So even on a like on a monetary point of view, but always as a as a sustainable point of view, the chef utilizes every part of that chicken. And that's the same thing that we should be applying to bartending. It's why, why is it that, uh, you know, always going back to citrus fruit, because it's the main fruit that we use. Yeah. But why is it that we, we buy this fruit that has skin, pith, pulp, seeds, and juice, but we only use the juice. Mm-hmm. We only use one of the five ingredients that this thing has. And, and you can make a citrus stock, you know, just like mm-hmm. you said about um, chicken bones making a chicken stock. You can make a citrus stock. You can utilize everything, and it doesn't require much effort, actually. No, no, it really doesn't. I think it's just a matter of helping people to realize what they what they can do, um, and and the impact that 
that every little person makes really. So what, what has been your experience with trying to spread this movement and this knowledge um, to other bartenders when, when you were training bartenders, kind of trying to get other people excited about sustainability? Well, this is interesting. I thought that I wouldn't get as much as, as much attention as I did. Um, I thought for some reason that I thought it would make more big news in uh, the U.S. I thought I would get more traction in the U.S., but actually, because I, was, I started my sustainable bartending blog in, during the pandemic in Italy, when I was in Italy, and I thought to myself, I'm not sure if uh, the Italian bartending scene will be that interested in it, because when I spoke about sustainability, sustainability behind the bar in Italy, no one really blinked an eye. They didn't know what it was, but mm-hmm. actually they're super interested in it, mostly because they're interested in the techniques. So I've been getting a lot of uh, bartenders who want to get better in general in bartending. Um, They're interested not just because it's good for the environment, but because they can learn something. They can learn Mm -hmm. a new technique. They're like, oh, wow, like what does a carrot leaf taste like? How do you use that in a drink? So they're also not, they're not just interested in the food waste aspect, but they're interested in the technique to learn that makes them better bartenders. But it kind of the, unlocks a whole other category of ingredients for them, doesn't it? You know, if you've gotten totally. a bit, not not that drinks making can ever really get boring, but if you've gotten a bit bored with the standard format of drinks, um, using using bits of of citrus fruit and carrots and pineapple and anything else that you wouldn't have thought to use, it kind of unlocks a whole new category of flavor. Totally. I mean, some of my previous blog posts, this was a crazy discovery, like cherry stems. Uh, when it's cherry season, um, you know, use the cherry stems. Cherries are already expensive. But mm-hmm. if you think about if you can use the cherry itself, the fruit and the stem, then you have two ingredients. And the stem, you can make into a tea. The tea turns bright red. It's like a beautiful color. You can turn that into a syrup or you can turn that into a soda. And cherry, like I can't really explain to you exactly what cherry stems uh, taste like. They taste fruity, mm-hmm. definitely, but they don't taste exactly like cherries. So you have this whole new world and opportunity of ingredients that have never been used, either because people thought that they were inedible or poisonous or, or because they just never even thought about it. Mm-hmm. You know? That's really That's really interesting. And so do you have you sensed an uptick as well, do you think, as a result of the pandemic and the fact that, um, obviously, you and I were discussing before we started recording, the hospitality industry has been, you know, it disproportionately impacted by this situation. Obviously, I think a lot of businesses that are lucky to still be around, if they've reopened or if they are reopening, they're going to have to really tighten the braces financially for a bit um, in order to get back on their feet, which is just the unfortunate situation that we're in. I feel like being sustainable and using all of the ingredients at their disposal is probably a great way to try to, to try to front run that basically. Totally. I mean, it's going to be super important for, for their wallets as well. Um, also buying more, um, seasonally, more local, those are usually cheaper. That's Mm -hmm. that it's better for you. Um, and reutilizing everything that you have at your disposal will definitely save a little bit of money. And in the long term of things, whether they like to think of it or not, um, the pandemic was, you know, this coronavirus and everything. It's kind of a subsequent, uh, it's, a, it's a consequence of 
climate change, yes. on the bigger scheme of things, topics like deforestation. And we've seen a lot of, uh, you know, the Amazon rainforest and the Australian wildfires, Californian wildfires. We're getting less and less and less forest in the world and mm-hmm. urban areas are growing more and more and more. And this is, this causes, this causes the tendency to have viruses leak out yeah. easier because yeah. wildlife is more, much more in contact with uh, human, human life. Human beings, yeah. Human beings, exactly. So, I mean, definitely sustainable practices. They can definitely save uh, the budget and your wallet in the short term. But this is also for long-term uh, thinking because this can definitely help us in the future. Definitely. And I think, yeah, I, I think that's such a good point. Um, and I completely agree. I think on even a more basic level, just from like a marketing perspective, if you're looking to serve more seasonally, it's just quite nice to mix up your menu, you know, probably three to four times a year, basically, um, or even more than that, depending on where you are to, for your, your bar menu to reflect what, what is in season. Um, and that's just going to keep people coming back because you have new and exciting drinks based on what's in season. And also, I had a whole episode on this with um with a couple of friends a couple of months ago on what we called seasonal drinking, but people just crave different sorts of drinks at different times of the year. So it's good exactly. as well. Um, it's good to use seasonal ingredients because that's just going to kind of vibe with what people want to drink anyway. Exactly. Totally. Um, I just recently had a PDF come out, a free PDF, and it's called uh, Winter Winter Produce and uh, seasonal ingredients that you can Mm -hmm. use behind the bar. And it's interesting because we're in winter right now, so there's not many fruits available, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot, there's some vegetables, carrots, beets, and it's also cold outside. So especially here in New York City, for a long time, you can only do outdoor dining. You have to eat outside and you can only drink outside. So no one wants to drink a margarita when it's freezing cold outside. (laughs) But what you can do is that you can make hot cocktails. And guess what? Some of the ingredients that are available seasonally make for great hot drinks. Think about it. Beetroot in hot drink, mm-hmm. it, it's on, it honestly tastes delicious. Carrots in hot cocktails taste delicious. Apples, pears, all of these things work Absolutely. in a hot toddy kind of uh, format or whatnot. So, yeah, it, it can totally work. And as you said, it gives even the customer the the want to the say to say, wow, that place, you know, I'm really craving something from that place. They do things differently. It's a rotating menu. Something's probably in season. So doing that as a bar also uh, distinguishes you from the competition. Definitely. Definitely. So we, we've talked a lot about what bars and bartenders can do to be more sustainable. But do you, do you have any suggestions for just the standard consumer um, when they go out to eat or drink, apart from just trying to choose restaurants and bars that you know are supporting sustainability and kind of making it public that that's a priority for them? Is there anything as a customer that I can do to try to you know support the sustainability movement just based on what I'm ordering when I'm going out? Yes, totally. I mean... Maybe 
a lot of people, this is another funny thing I saw in Australia, and I actually met someone um, recently in New York that does the same thing. A lot of people in Australia, they have their own metal straws, for example. They have yeah. to carry with their own, their own straws to the restaurant. I'm not sure if that's a thing in London. It's but, it um, definitely, they definitely, I know on Amazon, they sell um, metal straws and like cute little carriers that you can just throw in your handbag or your wallet or whatever. So yeah, it's, it, I think it's, it'll be interesting when things reopen um, to see if it's become much more of a thing, but I like it. Yeah, yeah it's great. I mean, so that's a thing. That's already like a, a great help because you're also incentivizing, trying to tell like the, the industry, Hey, like don't stop with the plastic. Yeah. You know? <laughs> There's a, um, where, where I work when I'm actually going into the office, there's a, um, pasta kind of just like carry out lunch pasta restaurant that does their straws are actually made from pasta. So they've just like Mm -hmm. hollowed out some pasta, um, which is actually quite fun. I mean, to be honest, like I'm not a huge paper straw fan, um, just because they tend to disintegrate, but yeah, they get soggy. Yeah, I like metal straws, bamboo straws. Like, I actually prefer the taste of drinking out of those versus plastic anyway. So I'm all for it. You, you know, totally setting the environment aside. I just think it's actually a more pleasant experience. Um, and also, if you think about it, pandemic wise, um, bringing your own straw means that someone else isn't touching the straw that you're going to then put in your mouth, which is probably a good thing as well. (laughs) Definitely. It's much safer. Yeah. Yeah. So I think customers can do, I mean, they're doing that. Some of them are doing that. Others should do that. Um, but yeah, it's not really, I think the customers, the, the customer will look at a menu and not really think of seasonality sometimes they'll just mostly think of what they're craving Mm -hmm. so it's more it's more the hospitality industry's job to kind of dictate and show uh what's available kind Mm -hmm. of influence the decision of the customer for the better definitely yeah no i think that that's i think that that's important and i think it does it it does start with you know at, at least in london it's the smaller local businesses that tend to be um, sourcing their ingredients from small local businesses. So I do think um, it does start as well with just going to local places in your area um, and trying as best as you can to avoid big chains as well. Definitely. Yeah, I would say the same thing here in New York City. Definitely. Um, so what would be your tips for someone who wants to get started with sustainable drink making at home? Like how would you how would you recommend someone first get off their feet with that? Yeah, so definitely, I mean it it's kind of kind of tough because there's no one um there's no one technique or mm-hmm. thing to apply to just magically transform anything into a liquid ingredient, but definitely one thing that everyone should approach, even uh, non-bartenders, it's uh, whenever they see some kind of food waste, whenever they chuck something out, they should think to themselves, what could that be used for? You know, besides composting, because that should be the, the, that should be the last, um, yeah. the last option, which is a good option, but it's the last option. Just think, they should think to themselves, what could that be used for? Um, and just from that thought alone, they can come up with something, you know, when I, before I did sustainable bartending, when I was cooking, I used lemon juice for, you know, my salads or whatever. And I would cut up the rind. I would realize, you know, I would 
I can use the rind, I can use the pith. I would cut it up and stick it in with, you know, an entire fish and that would transmit its flavor onto mm-hmm. the fish, for example. So just, it's just about um, awareness. That's mm-hmm. all it is. Just uh, kind of be aware of what things you're throwing out and over time, think about what you can do with them. Mm-hmm. And some techniques, if I had to throw out some techniques out there, there's definitely some that work for a lot of things. So definitely uh, dehydration is a great technique that works. It's about you know removing the moisture from an ingredient and that pre- preserves it. That doesn't only preserve the ingredient, it also intensifies the flavor and intensifies the color. Mm-hmm. So for example, I mean, my wife, I don't know how she does this, but she eats, uh, she loves dried um, grapefruit and orange wheels and mm-hmm. lemon and lime I'm wheels. She exactly loves it. the same. Yeah. Literally. Not I'll, everyone does that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. I, I can't well, do that. I actually eat, I eat citrus fruit rind whole, like when it's not dried. I've done this since I was a kid. It's like a fun quirk about me. Oh. So I guess in that <laughs> sense, I've been sustainable since before it was cool. Cause yeah, you're great. <laughs> the, but, the, the lime wedge in my drink does not go to waste, but yeah, the dried stuff, like if I'm at a bar and I see where they have the jars of the dried fruit, I'm oh, literally one of those sitting people there that drooling. Just, like, reaches over. Oh God. Yeah. I love <laughs> it. So, to shoo you away. I totally understand your wife because I'm exactly the same. I love, I don't yeah. know what it is. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's um, she likes crunchy food. Mm-hmm. You know, she likes crunchy food. And um, I remember I took a master class from one of the most uh, he's one of the most famous bartenders in the world, Dennis Zoppi. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's from Turin. He used to be in world class in the Azure world class. And he said something really interesting. He said, crunchiness is something it, it's it reminds us of freshness. Like mm. back, you know, when we were, you know, millions and millions of uh, thousands of years ago when we ate something that was crunchy it meant that usually it was fresh mm-hmm. so i don't know maybe my wife's uh internal instincts are more towards crunchy primal. foods but that's primal so yeah primal instincts but um that's one example so definitely dehydration is a way of transforming things that you might not like in their raw form into a form that's edible and it preserves so you can use it for later use um, definitely another technique is infusion. I mean, a great example is pineapple skin. Why not just pop a pineapple skin in a bottle of rum and get yourself some pineapple flavored rum? Mm-hmm. Basically, it'll just do that. And so infusing like, a, like you would with a tea um, works well. And of course, also fermentation, which is kind of a technique that a lot of people I feel are a little bit scared to touch mm-hmm. or a little bit it's not really for the home person, uh, but it's very easy and it's very simple. And if you can just read up a little bit on it, you can literally any you can ferment anything that goes to waste. It's mm-hmm. incredible. That's great. This is a bit of a random one, but do you have any like advice for what you can do with banana peel? Because I feel like in my household, that's probably what we're wasting the most of because we eat like two to three bananas a day. Um I'm just realizing, yeah, 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 no, I'm proud of that. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just realizing how much banana peel we must throw away that I would love if there was something more that we could do with that. Totally. So banana peel, that's the recipe that actually put me on the map. I, I, that was my first uh, blog post on uh, how to use banana peel. Mm-hmm. And I, from then on, I knew, okay, I'm in the right direction on the sustainability thing. But um one thing that I did with banana peel, but there's many things you can do is you can make a syrup out of it. So mm. 
just a little thing about a banana peel. Banana peel is as nutritious, if not more, than the actual banana itself, mm -hmm. surprisingly. It has the same nutrients, but apparently more of them. And it has the same exact flavor, but not the same texture. Mm -hmm. But because it has the same flavor in liquid form, it works perfect in the, in the, as a replacement for actual banana. Mm -hmm. And one thing you can do is you do an oleosaka room. So you basically get your banana peel, chop it up, and then you put sugar over it. The sugar macerates it, so it softens the peel. Mm -hmm. But it also, what sugar does, it, it extracts moisture. So it's going to take away all the moisture that's inside the peel and all the moisture, all that water that's inside the peel is basically flavored. Mm -hmm. And then once you have, once you let that sit macerating the sugar and the banana peel for a day, um, you can just strain it, squeeze it out and you'll get yourself a syrup that's uh, a little brown, but tastes exactly like bananas, like no other tastes Amazing. exactly like it. But there's other things you can do also. You can then, with all that leftover pulp that you squeezed out, you can then dehydrate that and make a, a banana leather, what they call mm -hmm. banana peel leather, which is basically just an edible garnish. Because banana mm -hmm. peel is edible. We just don't mm -hmm. eat it. Um, and it's also edible. You don't have to even dehydrate it. You can also eat it in its raw form. I saw uh, a YouTube video. Um, I forget where it was from, but basically they were making food like pulled pork from banana peels so they're just basically yeah they're chopping because it's got the same flavor yeah but it's got a different texture than banana and it actually has a kind of texture similar to i wouldn't say really pulled pork but it's a little bit stringy yeah and chewy yeah. but if you can mask the flavor so it's like some paprika pepper uh spices chili spices and like you can make it into a pulled pork sandwich, basically. But I can definitely see how that would work because <laughs> yeah, because pulled pork is a bit sweet, and bananas are sweet. So then if you just throw the spices in there, you're probably not far off. And it does like you know my mom because my mom and my sister are vegetarian. They make a lot of jackfruit pulled pork type sandwiches. Mm -hmm. um, but I could see how banana would work. For, banana peel would work for that too. That's really interesting. Yes. That. Banana peels can be used for so many things. And if Amazing. that's those two are not options that you want to take, it makes for a great fertilizer. So it's excellent for composting. If you leave it in water and then use the water to, uh, for your, to water your plants, um, it's excellent for that as oh, well. Great. Great. That's good to know. Well, thank you. I think that those tips are excellent, even just for, even just for my own purposes. Um, so thank you. So tell the users, the users, the listeners a little bit about where they can find you. I know you have so much amazing free content. So I definitely think that everyone should take advantage of your PDFs and just your Instagram in general, but where, where can they find you? And definitely. So on, on Instagram, I post maybe three times a week and that's where all my recipes are. And you'll have a link also to my blog and to the PDF. But I also encourage everyone to, uh, so that's called the sustainable underscore bartender on Instagram. But I also encourage everyone to go on Facebook because a lot of people do have Facebook and to join the sustainable bartender community, which is a group. And uh, the group's great because it has uh, my content, but it also has the content of other bartenders who are kind of uh, trying to showcase their own sustainable ingredients and products. And it's just a really friendly place where everyone can exchange ideas. 
even exchange sustainable brands that are related to the hospitality industry or just show their creations. Um, so I would definitely say do those two, the Instagram on sustainable underscore bartender and definitely the sustainable bartender community group on Facebook. Excellent. Excellent. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Renato, for coming on. I certainly learned a lot. I'm sure the listeners did as well. And it was a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Megan. It was a pleasure of mine. Thanks.